Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Bet online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, but NBA, college basketball, and the NHL are in full swing. BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV, real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. You are listening to The Bird Calls on the Armchair All-American Network. For more on your Pelicans, go to iTunes, search The Bird Calls, and subscribe today. Another episode of the Bird Calls podcast. I'm your host and contributor to thebirdrights.com, Preston Ellis. The Pelicans beat the number one team in the NBA last night. That's pretty cool. And by definition, that means they must now be considered the best. It's kind of like Highlander. You take a head, you, you gain the powers. It's been a hot second since I've seen that show, but I think it was something like that. To talk about this as well as the Spurs and Bucks, we have our editor in chief to the Bird Rights, Mr. Ohel Cassell. How are you, sir? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah, I, I don't, I, I don't get that nickname. So I got, I, I really got to ask that guy, whoever that is, that keeps saying, "Oh hell!" Even though he sees it all, he's always responding. But I'm good, Preston. I'm really good. I, I love the fact that the Pelicans seem to be good teams now, but drop the duds to you know the poor losing teams. Hopefully that changes soon. But hey, I'll tell you what, this team is fun. No matter whether they win or lose, I think that's something that's getting overlooked. I mean, besides. Charlotte Hornets, I can't think of a more fun team just to watch on any given night. For sure. It kind of reminds me of, I think it was the 2012 Saints where they went like 7-9, but the score every week was like 45-42. to 42. So even though it was gut-wrenching losses, there was Good still... Good analogy. Uh, yeah, 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 it was like nonstop. Whoever had the ball last would win type of deal, right? Yeah, yeah. and that is kind of eerily similar. <laughs> All right, let's get to uh, our, our next, uh, I guess, guest on the show. Uh, one of the godfathers of the bird rights, along with Ali, our friend and Disney enthusiast, Mr. David Fisher. What's going on, sir? Sir, it has been exactly one year since we were at Disney, actually. And my phone just keeps popping up with here, all these memories of you at Hollywood Studios. And I'm like, I just can't wait to go back. But I mean, we're only one vaccine in. Um, and so we, like Mandy and I both need our second shots. And then from there, we'd like to be in a situation where a lot of other people have had their shot before we go, um, you know, exposing our whole family to that kind of situation. But we can't wait to be back to Disney. I mean, every single time you talk about it, we just can't wait. Uh, yeah, it's 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 around the corner. My parents have both been vaccinated. My mother was part of the trial and my dad's 79 and had COVID and he's a veteran. And same with uh, my wife's parents. One of them is in a home and the other one, I think she's 70 and she's a school teacher. So all of our parents have been vaccinated. Like this is really happening, um, which is kind of exciting to think about that. Maybe, maybe, just maybe life could go back to normal in the next six months, uh, but I, I won't hold my breath. Finally, the man helping to operate the hottest new restaurant in New Orleans, Louisiana. If you haven't been there, go Mr. Kevin Berrios. What's going on, Kevin? I would just say, going back to your Saints analogy, unfortunately for the Pelicans, sometimes it's whoever has the ball last loses. <laughs> I guess that. <laughs> <laughs> Too soon. Too soon. All right. We're, we're 
downward spiraling fast. So let's get back to uh, the news of the day. The Pelicans took a decisive 14-point lead with 3.53 only for Utah to erase it in the final three minutes uh, with Donovan Mitchell narrowly missing a layup that could have turned the tide and Rudy Gobert had, a, had an opportunity to follow. Uh, and then there was a controversial over the back call. I don't know if it's over the back if you just happen to be like seven foot three. That was just my perspective. But the Pelican, uh, the Pelican stayed strong. They held on. It was a huge win following two narrow losses to the Spurs and Bucks. Ali, they gave us a heart attack, but they held on. Is this just another solid win, or did this one carry a bit more weight for you? Oh, it definitely carries more weight because it felt like in the first half the Pelicans played pretty well, but of course they gave up that atrocious 41 point second quarter to the jazz to where you're like, ah, oh, here we go again. Right. You, if everybody should remember Pelicans already had already lost two uh, matchups with the jazz in Utah. One was kind of close, but not really. You never got the sense they had a chance to win. The other one was kind of more of a blowout variety. And you just felt like they were on their way to a third, you know, kind of addition somewhere along similar lines, but it didn't happen. Cause that third quarter, man, I'll tell you what, that's easily the best third quarter of the year for the Pelicans. The way they, you know, started the frame, you know, I don't even know where to start. You can start with Zion Williamson, right? He got on, on a roll to where he scored 15 points in a frame. He was just unstoppable. But it, it was the entire team because I, I noticed they're just sitting there watching the game that Utah wasn't looking like first half Utah. The ball movement wasn't swinging side to side. It wasn't even usually making the one smart pass. All of a sudden, I saw Donovan Mitchell, Mike Conley, Jordan Clarkson, anybody with the ball, they were just looking to drive and get their own. And a lot of shots for Utah um, ended up inside of the arc. That's not what they really try and do anymore. And we hadn't seen that in the previous two games. So whatever worked, the Pelicans, I didn't feel like played all that great defense, but they forced them enough off the line. And they thought, I guess, hey, we got to match Zion's points in the paint. So it kind of turned into that type of slugfest, but you're not going to beat Zion as Rudy Gobert found out, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, he's been incredible the last two weeks, but seeing him go straight at the two-time defensive uh, player of the year and just push him into the NBA stanchion, uh, it, it it truly is such an impressive feat of strength, Fish. Uh, obviously, there's a lot to talk about with, with Zion. Lonzo Ball had a great night. Josh Hart was all over the place. Brandon Ingram was Brandon Ingram. But, but let's dive into Zion's performance. Obviously, he's on ball, but when he can just go at Rudy Gobert like that, he can just go at Giannis like that. Are we just seeing the tip of the iceberg of what Zion is capable right now? Or do you think this right now unveiling is like MVP level franchise player that the Pelicans have been waiting for? Um, I mean, he's only 20. Like he doesn't even turn 21 until what July 6th. So um, he doesn't have 82 NBA. He doesn't have 60 NBA games under his belt. We don't know what peak Zion could even be. Maybe we're getting small glimpses of it. The thing, the thing that I love about it is the fact, regardless of how big or how long the player is that's defending the rim, none of it is going to deter Zion Williamson. There, we had so much talk before the season started about uh, you need space around Zion. Zion makes his own space. Rudy Gobert can be standing there at the rim because Steven, Steven Adams is on the floor and it doesn't matter. Zion Williamson multiple times jumped right into his chest, moved him and then either made the layup on the first attempt or rebounded his own own miss, put it back in and then, you know, went to the foul line. I think that happened um, in the third quarter and he's walking down the middle of the lane, screaming at the ceiling. Um, he learned last night 
that sometimes it's not better to go try to go over or try to go around. He went through. He went right through Rudy Gobert's chest. And the more that he realizes that he has the strength and the capacity to do that, and as long as the officials are going to officiate Zion the way they are, in that they're letting opponents hack at him and hack at his hands and wrist and Lamar, uh, LaMarcus Aldridge, um, one of the screenshots hits him directly in the face. One of the Spurs has their arms wrapped around Zion's waist as he goes to the rim. Fine, if that's how they're going to officiate Zion Williamson. We saw a change in mentality um, last night against the Utah Jazz. He said, fine, if if you're not going to call the contact and if all this contact is, is permissible when I'm going to the rim, then I'll be the one that initiates it. And I'll go right into his chest. And guess what? He's going to be the one bouncing. I'm not going anywhere. So, um, and I think that was a beautiful thing to see, to see because he's, he's adjusting to the matchup. He's adjusting to the matchup after he's seen it. it the, I mean, we're still looking at a situation where the Pelicans, if they were to make it into the play-in, and then eventually the playoffs, most likely would be matched up against the Utah Jazz thanks to the kind of um, lead they have with the number one seed right now and the fact that they have the eat one of the easiest second-half schedules. So um, that would be a, a beautiful matchup um, as far as I'm concerned. But what's in terms of what Zion's peak or what, what he's going to be, I don't think anybody could know because his, his growth already has been so exponential up to this point. Who knows what he's capable of right now? Right now, if you ask me to put a ceiling on him, I'd say like, what, like it's the moon Mars, like Mm -hmm. what's the next star system over? Like he, he can do anything. He's he's already shown so much that I I, I, I it's foolish to put uh, any kind of limitation on what he could accomplish. Now, Kevin, just as uh, impressive as uh, Zion has been in the past few weeks, uh, Lonzo Ball, the the two of them are kind of linear. Uh, at least that's what happened last year. Their on court numbers together were impressive. Lonzo was shooting forty percent for three for much of the second half of the season, and a lot of that time came with Zion. So just as Zion is ascending. Now Lonzo Ball is ascending too. Uh, I don't know exactly what his numbers were, like 23, 8, and 5, but of course he's shooting very well from three. He's a great help defender, and he is playing above his means right now. He's he's sort of justifying that potential uh, big payday this summer. What is the biggest aspect of Lonzo Ball's game that has changed, Kevin, or are the threes just going in? Um, well, I think he's been more aggressive. Uh, and again, like I always preface, things this season with saying that I haven't been able to watch every game or all of every game because of my work schedule. But from what I've seen from him, he's been a lot more aggressive. Uh, He's been more decisive. He's getting fouls and he's making free throws, which also helps pad those uh, scoring numbers. Um, But just the gravity of Zion drawing so many people away from the perimeter to try to stop him in the lane and his ability to be able to pass out of that has offered a lot of clean shots the last few weeks to to Lonzo, which gets him in a comfortable spot and a comfortable flow. Um, and then, you know, I think he's improved defensively as the season has gone on. Early on, he's had moments, uh, but it wasn't all clicking. And I feel like he's getting better as a team defender, better at playing in the lanes, getting more hands on loose balls, um, things like that. Um, so 
you know, I, you know, like I've, I've always been Alonzo supporter on the, on this pod. And I, I think that, you know, he's clearly played himself into being a core piece for this future. You know, we have the, the three core pieces, which I, we talked about a little bit on um, the last time I was on a pod. And um, I think he's clearly shown that he is that. And I just want to talk about something, you know, going back to what uh, Fish was talking about with Zion. One of the things that I think is most interesting about Zion is that, you know, coming into the league, all we really saw were highlight dunks, you know, we're thinking this guy's going to just be dunking the ball like crazy, but it's rarely the big dunk that, you know, in game, you don't really see many dunks from him. It's really his ability to navigate around bodies and contort finish uh, with feathery touches and, you know, contorting his body and bending around people. That's been so impressive. Like just his finishing ability and touch around the rim has been incredible for me that it's one of the biggest surprises in his game I mean it went back to last season too uh but especially this year I, I find that just his ability to to finish without a dunk has been incredibly impressive now Ali uh although the Pelicans did lose both games to the Spurs and to the Bucks they've played really really well these games at least offensively I don't have the numbers in front of me but I imagine you've probably looked at them uh they're they've got to be either number one or number two over the last three weeks and they're consistent right now they are consistently scoring a lot of points going head to head with everybody of course on the defensive end that's another story but we're starting to see a little bit of consistency being established on that end Ali are we seeing a fluke this this offensive juggernaut that's kind of emerging before us or do you think this is the best offense in the NBA Mm. That's something I haven't even asked myself, but I think you could make a strong argument for it, probably right below the New Jersey or the Brooklyn Nets when they're all together on the floor. Because it, it, you can't call it a fluke, number one, when the majority of the season they've been right there, one, two, or three in offense in terms of efficiency. Um, and, and, and you can just see it. Once they got past those first few weeks, the three ball started dropping just at an average rate. They, they haven't been shooting lights out for the most part. Um, and also the turnovers have come down. But basically, it's just you're running through a, a juggernaut himself, Zion Williamson. And then you've got one heck of a score when he gets going. And, and you don't need him for the whole games. But just just give us those couple of stretches that Brandon Ingram's been doing of late. And suddenly you're, you're looking at over 50 points just from two guys. And so you don't have that much more to really fill out in today's game. The Pelicans fast break numbers are way up. That's really been driving. I think the offensive efficiency too. Um, last time I had checked, I want to say, what was it? A couple, about a week ago, they were leading the league in fast break points. It was right around 17 a game. And that stretched back to, I want to say about, you know, third week of January or something like that. So a lot of things are going well for them, and I'll be honest with you. There's a couple of things I've got to throw out to you in terms of stats that people don't realize. Zion, he, he's really doing something historic, guys. There's only been three other players that have scored over 25 points per game at age 20. I'm sure you could probably name, but I'll just you know get right to the chase. LeBron, Kevin Durant, and Luca. So Zion's right at 25.5 right now, scoring what, making 61.6% of his field goals. He's assisting more times than not, it feels like, at least five times a game. Turnovers aren't usually a problem. There might be a stretch or two. So he, he's unstoppable force, number one. Number two, I'm glad you already talked about it, Preston and Kevin, Lonzo Ball. Here's the thing I found most interesting when looking at Lonzo's numbers. 
his effective field goal percentage is higher than a lot of names you wouldn't think. And that's counting his first, you know, what, three weeks of the season where he was just, what, sitting at 40% field goal, 30 from three, and like 60 from free throw line. His effective field goal percentage right now is 55.7. That's higher than Dames, Lucas, CP3s, Van Fleet, Mike Conley, Donovan Mitchell, Bradley Beal, Brogdon. I mean, you name it. It's the same as Booker and Jalen. They're right at the same number. So I think that goes to show you a lot in just those two guys. But I've already said Brandon Ingram. So no, Preston, long-winded answer. But no, the Pelicans have two amazing forces of nature, I feel like. But one a little bit more magical than the other. Of course, Zion over B.I. But I think this gives Brandon an opportunity to not feel like he has to be the man. So he's allowed to grow into it. And think about all the mistakes and all the critiques we make every game. And yet the Pelicans still are almost every night putting up 120 points a game efficiently. So, yeah, Preston, it's not a fluke by no stretch of the imagination. I'm pulling up the Jazz stats right now uh, before I swing this over to Fish. Okay, so the third best defense in the NBA in terms of net rating. And the Pelicans just destroyed them. 74 points in the paint. They only took 11 three-point shots, but they made seven of them for around 64%. Fish, they're doing this against the best teams in the NBA. Is is it possible that this offense could get even better? Um, I don't know how much better the offense can get, and I don't think the offense at this point should be the focal point for what the Pelicans are going to do. Um, it, when I'm looking at the Pelicans, my biggest focus at this point is just giggling like a schoolgirl schoolgirl when Zion Williamson's going to the hoop because it's just ridiculous. Um, and then the rest of my focus really, and my attention when I'm watching the game is there's a fun interplay with what Steven Adams is doing on offense and the, the kind of locations he stands and what he's trying to do to either create space for Zion and still be available or he sees what Zion's going to do offensively, and he tries to just get himself and his defender into a position where he's just going to screen him, but it's not like he's literally just trying to screen his own man so that once Zion gets past his guy, there's nobody left. Um, And you see that a lot, especially on the kind of circle cuts that Zion sometimes is getting when he gets the ball on the wing coming towards the center of the court. Um, And um, Adams will be kind of in the dunker spot, but then he slides up to a strange place where he's standing almost right in front of the restricted area. But then his guy can't get to Zion as Zion goes to the hoop. Stephen Adams is in the way so that's a fun thing that's happening offensively but the biggest thing is the defensive end because the offensive end I mean they are they're producing they're producing consistently they produce almost every single game Um, I'm looking at their advanced box scores over their last couple games over their last 20 games um and it's it's absurd like in the in in the month of February the Pelicans had one game one game where their offensive rating was under 110 which is ridiculous they had they had more games where their offensive rating was over 120 um 
than, you know, even in that 110 to 119 range. And once you get up to that 117 to 119 range, you're really talking about the best offense in basketball. But the, the Pelicans, the past couple games, uh, the past, and it's not just a couple games, um, the, the Pelicans, since they implemented PowerPoint Zion on the court um, on January 26th, when they got home from that long road trip, they have been either the best or the second best offense right behind Brooklyn over that span. And that's a big enough span. And they've had, they've had games where they didn't make a lot of threes. How many did they make last night, Ollie? Was it like six? I only think they attempted seven of 11, man. It was crazy. (laughs) They only attempted 11 three pointers against the team that has Rudy Gobert. And I mean, Derek Favors is a highly qualified reserve big man. Like mm-hmm. there, there's no scrubs there. And the Pelicans said, screw it. We're just going to continue to attack and we're going to continue to score at the rim. It's not a situation where the Pelicans are just shooting the lights out from three and you're waiting for the bottom to fall out. Yeah. Poor Derek <laughs> Favors. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> oh goodness. Kevin had a good one on Derek Favors last night. That was that was art. But um What was biggest, it? The biggest thing is defense. Oh, I'll I'll let Kevin explain that one. Okay. It was a great joke. Oh, um, I, but I, the I, biggest thing and, and Ollie had mentioned um Utah wasn't able to get the ball moving. They weren't able to get the Pelicans in rotation and stuff like that. The reason that happened was the fact that the Pelicans committed to, we're going to play drop. We're going to tell our guards, you have to get over or under that screen and meet the ball handler on the other side and, and contest that. And we're going to live with the results and not allow ourselves to get into rotation, which is Largely what the Pelicans did defensively up until the Dallas game, the first Dallas game. Well, no, the only Dallas game where, you know, Porzingis hit a couple threes and then mm-hmm. the Pelicans since then, they have kind of been chasing their tail, trying to continue to adjust and adjust and adjust to the next thing, to the next thing, to try to make it happen um, defensively. And in the process of that, they've lost their way from how I think um, Stan Van Gundy would prefer to defend, which is just, we're going to play drop. We want to have the shot taken either by the ball handler or the roll guy in the pick and roll. We don't want to have to get into rotation. We want, we want everything to stay simple. I mean, it's, it's very much, uh, it goes back to Thibodeau when he was in Boston um, and then he brought it to Chicago and it kind of proliferated around the league um, that we're just, we're going to keep the ball in front of us. We don't want to get into rotation. We would rather settle for guys taking pull-up threes with with the defender in their hip pocket than get into rotation and, you know, Bogdan Bogdanovich is taking wide open corner threes and the Pelicans just kept at it instead of bailing instead of bailing on that scheme after the second quarter when Utah put up a massive number the Pelicans said no we're going to keep running the defense we are going to keep at the system and how we want to defend and the threes stopped falling quite at the same rate and Utah wasn't getting wonderful open looks. There was a guy that was the, the defender wasn't right in their face, but they're adjacent. And honestly, that's, that's close enough 
in the NBA because most three pointers that are taken in the league are going to be open three pointers. That's, that's just the nature of the shot. Most of them will be open three pointers, but there's a difference between a wide open three pointer and a mildly contested three pointer. And the Pelicans managed to mildly contest a bunch of three pointers last night. And they continued to play that drop scheme. And that's the biggest thing that I watch are the Pelicans staying consistent there or after a couple of, less than ideal results do they bail on their scheme and try to do something else it's something that um, we saw them do in the dallas game it's something that we saw them do i mean the phoenix game the the pick and roll coverage was just a disaster um and if they if they keep to their keys and they don't abandon what they're trying to do because we've seen them try to play up at the level we've seen them try to trap all of that's a disaster because eventually you're playing four on three and you're going to be in rotation and this team can't they just they can't do it it doesn't happen but if they play the drop if they keep in the drop and they continue to run the scheme that they came into the season saying that this is going to be largely our scheme. We're going to play all the time and they keep at it. Eventually they'll have passable results, not, not outstanding results by any means, but I mean, you also have to recognize Utah's a, a superb NBA team right now. And they've just been melting teams down and they couldn't do that to the Pelicans last night. Like they had the two previous matchups. Yeah, looking at it right now, the Pelicans currently are sixth in the NBA in offensive uh, rating and 29th in defensive rating. It's eerily similar to an Alvin Gentry team. They are perfect 116.5 offensive rating, 116.5 defensive rating. All right, Kevin, the floor is yours. Share with us your Derek Favors joke. Oh, I just said, um, I, I, I can't remember exactly what I said, but it, it was something like um, Derek Favors is still putting great uh, plus minus box scores up for for the Pelicans and y'all hated that man, something like that. Um, but I would say like to go back to what you asked to, to give you a real brief answer to what you asked David is how do you improve the offense? It's simply by improving the defense because the offense is so incredibly efficient already now create more transition opportunities with guys like Lonzo balls. and Williams, Brandon Ingram trailers like JJ Redick hitting the corner things like that, then you can make that offense even better just by playing better defense. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Let's talk about our newest sponsor, eBay. From rare dead stock to the latest release, you can find the exact sneaker you're looking for on eBay. As the original sneaker marketplace, eBay is the place to go to cop the pair you've been eyeing. And with eBay's authenticity guarantee, a team of independent professional authenticators perform a rigorous inspection of the sneakers you purchase before they're sent to you. So you can shop confidently knowing your pair is the real deal. And for the sneaker sellers out there, eBay has eliminated selling fees on sneakers $100 or more, making it free to sell or flip your collection. With other sites taking as much as 25%, you're going to have a lot of extra money left for, you guessed it, more sneakers. Check out ebay.com sneakers today. Bet online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, but NBA, college basketball, and the NHL are in full swing. 
BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. Real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. I just think the relationship, and then I'm going to swing this back to Kevin to get him to talk some more. The relationship between Zion and Brandon Ingram, I feel like, has been slow developing, but is starting to get there. Like, Brandon Ingram and... Um, Steven Adams immediately clicked. Like there was just an understanding there. But Zion and Brandon Ingram uh, initially were a bit of a clunkier fit because, you know, he's that that postman, that that guy in the block, the guy who just goes straight at the defender. And now Zion's taking the ball from the top of the key, something that Brandon Ingram did a lot of last year. But now we're seeing them kind of click. Uh, last night, there was a pick and roll opportunity uh, followed directly by a give and go between Zion and, and, and Brandon Ingram. And Really, the defenders couldn't do anything about it. And I can't remember if it was Brandon Ingram or Zion. I think it was Zion. Got right to the cup. Uh, had had no defender in front of him because the defense was so confused. Literally turned around his defender. And it's just, if these guys do this 10 times a game, we might see one of the most dynamic offensive pairings, at least in New Orleans history, uh, if if not on a more dramatic scale. Kevin, are you observing any kind of chemistry developing between Zion and Brandon, or am I just talking out of my head? No, I think that's that's... Uh, fair and I'd also say like they should watch uh, some Shaq and Kobe and Shaq and Penny you know and try to learn from how those two guys interacted because not that I mean Ingram is clearly not the athlete that Penny Hardaway or Kobe Bryant is but he was also a guy that likes to operate in the mid-range and is a good ball handler both of those guys are ball handlers creators and then you had that presence like Shaq down low um, which you know Zion is very similar uh, to Shaq and the impact that he has in the paint and and his ability to handle the ball and pass it. Um, so uh, I think they can look at that to develop some ideas of how to work together. Um, but yeah, I think it is improving. And like I said, they could even, I still think they should stagger them uh, more. So each of them gets their time to really cook. Uh, also, um, you know, you never want to have, obviously you never want to have uh, minutes where one, either of them are, or both of them are off the floor. You know, you want to give them time to to get their shine, but also you need to start to dictate 1A and 1B. And I think Zion is clearly 1A now um, because he's just that phenomenal of a player and unstoppable of a player that it's more of an adjustment for Ingram. He has to learn how to play off of that a little bit more, um, play a little bit of a second fiddle in that role. But I don't think he's in like a super ego guy. Um, where that's going to be much of a problem. It's just learning how to get to your spots and how to interact and how to um, get your moments too and when to defer. Um, but I think that they'll figure that out. You know, as we talked about before, they just don't really have practice time. So it's harder to figure it out. They have to kind of do it on the fly in game. Um, so, but I do think it has improved the last week or two. Now, Ali, we definitely have to talk about Eric Bledsoe and Josh Hart and J.J. Reddick's resurgence uh, in the lineup. But first, I want to talk to Billy Hernan Gomez because he has made such a sizable difference. And looking at his numbers, uh, he ranks in the 12th percentile on the defensive end, which is not very good. On the offensive end, he ranks in the 88th percentile. And then overall, he's just, you know, perfect zero in terms of deficiency. But when you take those minutes over Jackson Hayes, who is a negative 16.8 per 100 possessions, he obviously makes your team a lot bigger. He ranks in the 52nd percentile versus Jackson Hayes, who's just in the second percentile. Uh, 
Number one, Ali, why did, well, we don't have to ask that question. We've already answered that question. Talk about how different the Pelican season might have been and will continue to be with Billy in the lineup versus Jackson Hayes. Yeah, Billy's just an adequate backup center, as we've kind of talked about, um, if you're trying to typecast him versus Jackson Hayes, who's unplayable. He's G League material right now. So just just giving somebody else that 15 to 20 minutes a game is huge. Um, but by no means, Billy's perfect, right? I love his tenacity, his rebounding. He's got some good IQ with the ball, actually, something you don't really see with a lot of backup centers, I think, typically in the league. But he can make the right pass, the right read, um, or score, as long as it's not a dunk. I don't know what's happened with this guy, but seems like he misses more jams than, uh, than he converts, right? So... That, that's maybe one little thing that bothers you. And it goes to show you what kind of player he is, right? He's, he's not the athlete. So he has trouble with guys that are jumping all around him and such. And I think his hands aren't the strongest. How many times I, I can recall him getting his, you know, fingertips on a ball or even maybe his whole mitts on whether it's a rebound, loose ball, and he doesn't come up with it. Not even like 50% of the time, it seems like. So there's definite deficiencies in his game. But like I said, he's just solid, though. He's not going to kill you. Um, he seems to have the right fundamentals when it comes to actually getting in a stance um, and either offering help on a, you know, an, an attack from somewhere on the perimeter. And pick and roll, he's okay. There's times where he's just too slow, but there's nothing he can do about that. So, no, I, I like Billy, and he's a great interview too. He's a fun guy. He seems like to be. He seems like one of the more um, lively guys in this locker room. You know, when you talk to him, you get a sense that he likes to have fun, joke around, but he also takes care of his business. So I think he's a perfect addition to this, honestly, to this team for right now, for what they are and for a backup to Steven Adams. And what's interesting about uh, Billy is when he's on the floor, the Pelicans don't turn the ball over. He ranks in the, or this, this is a team stat, but in terms of uh, turnover differential, when he's on the floor, they rank in the 89th percentile. Uh, they turn the ball over 2.1% times less than they would when he's not on the floor. Uh, we're going to go ahead and go over to Fish. Obviously, uh, the Pelicans are playing a bit better, and they're sticking to that eight-man rotation. Josh Hart, Eric Bledsoe, J.J. Redick. Obviously, you want to see Kyra Lewis and Nikhail out there. Uh, but when when they do, it hurts you because they're young players, and it's just natural part of developing talent is you have to suffer through some rough stretches. So, Fish, how does Stan Van Gundy find minutes for these guys without hurting the Pelicans' chances of winning games? He waits until the trade deadline when Griffin makes one of the guards disappear. I mean, if we're talking about it realistically, that's how it's going to be. I mean, Stan Van Gundy wants to win games. Um and um, he mentioned to a uh, question from David Grubb before the season started, because Grubb said, you know, how do, how do you develop players? And he said, you coach them. Um, and so just because those guys aren't playing minutes, let's not act like, you know, practices shoot around, you know, Witherspoon in either of their ears, other assistant coaches, that development isn't occurring between that and film sessions and everything else. Um, but right now, with um, I, I think maybe for my tastes, I liked it better when Stan Van Gundy was in the nine man rotation where Kyra was still fully in the, you know, he was getting his 10 to 12 minutes a game. Um, 
And that wasn't a massive change from what he's doing now. Really, it was just that there was less Eric Bledsoe in the rotation because Cairo was getting some minutes at the end of the first quarter and beginning of the second, end of the third quarter and beginning of the fourth. And what he's done to change that is he's playing Lonzo actually all 12 minutes of both the first and the third quarters. And then he's bringing Eric Bledsoe off the bench um, to start the second and fourth. Um, I think maybe this is a short-term kind of thing. It might be related to the Pelicans trying to bump up um, the trade value of Bledsoe probably more. I mean, Redick probably more than Bledsoe. Um, but the Pelicans still have the Pelicans still have time to develop those guys. I would prefer it if they were getting minutes um, over not. Um, I understand why Van Gundy has taken the tack that he is taking um, when he says the Pelicans need to get better defensively, and so he's not playing Kyra over and instead essentially Eric Bledsoe's getting those minutes. I don't necessarily agree with that assessment because Eric Bledsoe's lack of fuck giving is quite high on the defensive end. Um, but um, I mean, it, it'll happen um, the trade deadlines a couple weeks away. The Pelicans are going to probably play, I think like probably 10 games between now and the trade deadline. I would like to think that teams are going to make moves um, over this all-star break. Um, it would make sense to do that with COVID and everything else like that. But um, my expectations for that actually occurring are quite low. Um, NBA GMs are very much like freshmen and sophomore in college who they want to um, finish the paper at the very last minute. And so they won't push towards making the trades until the day of or the day before the trade deadline, unfortunately. Once that passes, I expect that it will open up some minutes for either Kyra or Naw. Um, or it, it's possible, um, gnaw probably a, a much higher possibility um, than Kyra, that one of them are moved themselves at the trade deadline. So um, I understand the frustration of some fans, um, and I am too frustrated a little bit that Kyra has fallen out of the rotation. Um, but I think that is a short-term thing. We're still not even to the 50% mark of the season. There's plenty of time to get Kyra minutes to develop. Nice. Yeah. Uh, Kevin, we're going to go ahead and get to questions now because we're about at the 40 minute mark. And there is one Jamal asked just for you. What dish is Zion at Nola Crawfish King menu and which one is Lonzo? Oh, yeah. I looked at this. He, he actually said what sandwich. So I planned it as the sandwiches because we have a huge sandwich menu. Um, so I would say Zion would be the big porker. Um, which, <laughs> which is uh, a slow cooked smoked uh pork sandwich and it has uh pickle uh, house-made pickled red onions uh house-made coleslaw and our our homemade barbecue sauce on it so and it's stacked obviously very high it's a very big sandwich it's overflowing falling off the place uh, all over the place but you know um it's a it's made from a pork butt you know girth all that works but um it's also southern you know it's got that tangy slaw it's got the the really uh, crisp and um, like spicy pickled red onion on there. And then our barbecue sauce is like 
it's citrusy, it's also spicy, and it's it's sweet. Um, so I think all those combinations together give you like sort of a unique spin on a classic pulled pork barbecue sandwich. Um, so it's definitely unique. It's definitely big, um, and it's southern. Uh, and so I think that that would be my choice for um, Zion, and then for Lonzo, um, I I'll go with the with the Neville, uh, which is named after. <laughs> sorry, my dog just freaked out because he because she knocked over an umbrella. Uh, <laughs> so. Uh, I'll go with the Neville, which is named after uh, Ivan Neville, who is like a regular customer of ours, friends with the owner Shaggy, and demanded that we make a hot sausage sandwich. So we made our own uh, hot sausage patty. Um, And that is, you know, if you think about Lonzo, one of the main things you see when you look at him is a tattoo that's dedicated to black excellence. If you think about black excellence in the city, you think of probably pretty quickly get to the Neville family. So there's a tie there. Um, it's a unique sandwich because it's it's like, it's a hot sausage sandwich that has a lot of, it doesn't have all the bullshit in it that like say like a Patton's hot sausage sandwich, like that vegetable protein and stuff like that. It's it's uh, pork, it's got all kinds of uh, really good ingredients, hand chopped jalapenos, it's handmade. Um, and then it, it has a sriracha aioli, um, onions and bread and butter pickles and it has Swiss cheese on it. Um, so I think it's like a unique hot sausage sandwich. So it's kind of hard to like, like Lonzo is a very unique, uh, ball handler, point guard, you know, whatever. We don't really know what he is. I don't know if you really count this as a normal hot sausage sandwich. Cause it's not built the same way, just as Lonzo is not built the same way. And it's also pretty spicy as fuck. Like, so like if you invest a lot in it, in it you can you will enjoy it but it could also burn you in the end from eating too many of these things um which you know there's that debate of do you want to pay lonzo knowing his weaknesses and knowing his strengths you know i like i said i'm a lonzo supporter and i've eaten a neville almost every day since we've invented it um (laughs) so i'm buying in on that but there is potential to destroy some stomach stomach linings and some toilets uh because it is spicy Nice, Kevin. We'll give you a follow-up uh, basketball-related question uh, since we had a bit of fun with that one. Thanks, Jamile. Uh, this is from JJ's Burner. Are there any rumblings of a growing local fan base, or is it too hard to tell in COVID times? Uh, you're, you're on the scene in, in New Orleans at restaurants. Does it does it feel like the Pelicans fan base has has taken a step up to the next level? After the AD trade, obviously it's, it's natural for the fan base to be irritable and to kind of like sink their heels in the ground. Now you've got Zion in town. Does it feel like it's changing and there is a real strong fan base that could, I don't know, rival the Saints in time? You know, it's it's really harder for me to gauge that these days. When I when I was bartending at Portocol, I sort of got like, you know, a good pulse of what was going on in the city. I'd see so many people from the city and what they were wearing and what they were talking about and all of that. And now I'm like managing a restaurant and I'm more in the back of the house and not in the front, seeing all the customers come through. Um, but I do look through the window in, into the front uh you know, pretty regularly. And I have to say, I do see a lot of Pelicans gear there. And some of that I will attribute to the fact that a lot of the people who follow me on Twitter for basketball stuff have been showing up to the restaurant. Um, A lot of people who um, 
cover the Pelicans also have been showing up to the restaurant because of uh, my Twitter handle and, uh, you know, the work I do with you guys. Um, so that's been nice to see. So I don't know if that's, if it's, I do definitely see more Pelicans gear in there than I've seen Saints gear, which is, I don't know if that's attributed to the time of season um, or it's just because of the fact that I work there and people who follow me come there. And, uh, but also I will say this too, um, the Pelicans were there today filming uh, a halftime show, which will be airing in the arena at halftime for um, games soon. Um, so that, look out for that. They had a crawfish eating contest that they filmed today inside of the, they were supposed to do it outside along the really nice mural we have painted on the side, but the weather didn't permit. So they filmed it inside the restaurant. Um, but yeah, so it, it is harder to get a good gauge now that I'm not really in the public like I used to be and uh, really hearing people talking. But I do think I have been seeing a lot of Pelicans gear coming through my restaurant. All right, Ali. Yeah, real quick, I just wanted to add that one thing I've noticed on Twitter, especially, is there's how many? I mean, what would you guys say? I feel like there's it's tripled the amount of podcasts that cover the Pelicans now. Same thing with the number of fans, right? That I, at least that I interact with. There's so many people that have just, I don't know if they're bandwagon fans, right? Or they just lived in the area but didn't really care because of basketball basketball has not been winners. So I don't know. I feel like there's definitely been growth, at least uh, if you gauge it by social media. Can you call a, a person a bandwagon fan if they're jumping on to a team with a losing record? I mean, like, not that I don't think this team is good and has potential to be good. I don't know if we can call people fans. You know, it's not like we're third in the West or something like that. Or, well, it's because they got Zion, though. You see the special, yeah. you know, generational talent is what I guess I'm attributing my bandwagon uh, response to. Yeah, because they're always on national television. Ali, uh, we're we're just going to ask this question every podcast because it's it's one of the most popular storylines of the Pelican season. That's Lonzo Ball. We talked about how impressive he's been. Now that the trade deadline is approaching, everybody wants to ask, what do you do, Ali? Because if you keep him and he continues to play like this, he could potentially become a $100 million over four-year player. Like, we are seeing evidence of that right now. So what do you do, Ali? If somebody throws, you know, a pretty impressive offer, I don't see anybody envision anybody giving like a godfather offer, three picks and swaps, but, you know, like a standard good offer, maybe two firsts or maybe a good young player and another first. Are you considering that right now? No, that's an easy answer for me. Nope. No way. No, how you don't even have to just say the last, you know, month or so and be like, well, I hope this is a new Lonzo. I feel like he has consistently trended upwards in his career. You go from his rookie season and you just don't go by game by game, but just if you were to just draw a line right from, his production from his rookie game in his rookie year to now you see which way the direction's headed. It's going up the ladder and there's a lot of stats that back that up. You know, you go to 538. I think he's the second most valuable Pelican right now. You look at ESPN RPM. He is number 11 overall, number nine offensively. That's insane. He's ahead of some really notable names guys. I mean, offensively, he's considered better by that metric than, you know, Trey Young, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, his brother's on the list. Hats off to the Ball family. But I think that's just a good indicator to me of his potential of what he's bringing to the team. You know, everybody sees the lower amount of assists. 
or, you know, maybe equate it with him just standing a lot of times in the offense, not being, you know, dominating possessions as not being valuable. I couldn't disagree more with that statement. So I feel like he's doing a lot of things that we talked about a year ago and we wrote about Preston. I know you and I both wrote on Lonzo Ball calling him, a, you know, basically a cornerstone. You need to surround Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson with the correct guys. I think Lonzo Ball fits and fills so many um, aspects that this team needs. Check so many boxes, right? Defensively, he, he's a he's a good perimeter de- defender. I'll call him overall. He's he can definitely still improve. And I like what Fish says. Off the ball, he's really good. On the ball, he 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 has his moments. And like I saw last night against Donovan Mitchell, first minute or two. He's got a block on Donovan, um, and he also pushed him certain directions that he doesn't want to go. But then, of course, there's times where he just, you know, gets lit up, just like pretty much anybody else. But overall, no, Lonzo's, you know, improvements and everything, I think, and, and his fit. Like I said, he's got no ego. He's selfless. And, and he, 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 he I, like, I, I, can't, I can't really describe it any better other than he just has all these intangibles and all the things, his strengths that he does well are complimentary to both Brandon Ingram and Lonzo, or excuse me, Zion. So no, I, it, unless it's a godfather offer, I'm not trading him. I'm resigning. And look, I feel like even if it doesn't work out, you can trade him down the road. Cause when you say max player, this doesn't mean max Chris Paul max, this is a max for a second year guy. So, and I, I don't expect him to get that right. It'd be what 27, 28 million, something like that starting. No, I think he's probably elevated himself from talk from say what, 16 to 20 million to probably now looking at 20 to 23, maybe 24 if he finishes the year as strong as he's playing. But I still feel like you you invest in that and then you can move it if it doesn't work. We've seen it time and again. So yeah, Preston, I'm all in on Lonzo. I know I had a bit brief hiccup early in the year. I think we all did at one time or another, even Kevin and I, but when he wasn't showing the confidence, but now that he's got this confidence and he looks healthy and like I said, the skills, everything's improving. I don't know why you would get rid of that. Yeah, I don't know if you want to follow that, Fish. Uh, I'll I'll add to it. Um, the Pelicans have the Bulls, the Heat, the Timberwolves, and the Cavaliers coming up. Uh, they've they've got a very winnable schedule, at least in the interim, over the next two weeks. So now you got a 15 and 19 team uh, that's I want to say two and a half games back of the the ninth spot, the play-in spot. I don't even know how the play-in spots work anymore. If the 10th seed is in the tournament now, or it's just the eighth and ninth going head to head. But at this point in time. You see Lonzo developing, you see Brandon Ingram developing, you see Zion developing, but they're still sticking to that core eight like we mentioned earlier. What is your goal going for the rest of the season based on what you've seen right now? What is the number one thing you want the Pelicans to focus on? Defense. That's the biggest thing, just defense. Yes, please. Find a way <laughs> f- find a way to develop some kind of consistency on defense. And, like, if they get burned and some team is just burying, you know, pull-up threes on them over and over again, I know they have a stretch here coming up, um, middle of the month. They're going to play at Portland um, on a Tuesday and then again on a Thursday. Um, and, yeah, I mean, there's going to be lumps like that. But what I'd like to see is just – more consistent um, execution. The biggest thing for them is not the first effort. It's the second and third effort that they need defensively. I need to see more of that. Um, one thing we didn't mention when we were talking about last night's game um, and even the, 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 the previous games before that, I feel like Brandon Ingram starting to take a step forward defensively um, for, from where he has been at. 
um, over the past like month or so. Um, I need more of that, especially if he's going to be more of the 1B option instead of the 1A option. Um, Zion has had more flashes of defensive competence. Um, there have been some times where he's actually getting over when he should be helping and meeting the roller um, at, at the rim. I don't know if you guys can hear um, my toddler in the background right now. <laughs> it, it, it's it's kind of rough back there. Um, but um, it's it's really – it's it's all defense. Um, I'm going to continue to watch and just enjoy um, the the – the development of Zion as a primary creator. Um, one thing I think we'll probably be able to get more into during the break and then uh, a lot more into when we're in the, in the off season this year, regardless of how the season goes, is Zion's development as a primary creator and the fact that he does not need others to create shots for him, but instead he creates shots for others, changes how you can build this team. Um, and it changes the kind of guys you want around him. Um, not to say, I mean, because obviously the thing would be, well, what does that do for Kyra since Kyra's like a, a very like point guard. Um, but I think um, other than that, the Pelicans can lean more towards they need to get more size and more length um, to try to just get bigger. Um, I, I still feel like Eric Bledsoe's general smallness is problematic. Um, Reddick's smallness and the fact that he's not a very good defender is problematic. I'd like the Pelicans to find ways to get to the point where Kyra's the only guy who's, you know, under six foot five that's on the roster that gets minutes. Um, and hopefully they can get to that point soon. But uh, the big things I'm going to be watching for really is just defense. Um, can they execute? Can they make second and third attempts? Can they improve? I mean, they're going to be they, – they have these next four games. You mentioned Chicago, Miami, Minnesota, Cleveland, which is a, it, it, which is a scenario where you, you'd think, hey, can go on a run here and get the ball rolling. But then their next five games before – the trade deadline is a murderer's row. I mean, they're going to play, they'll host the Clippers and then they'll play at Portland twice and then they'll play at Denver and then they'll host the Lakers and then the trade deadline happens. And it's not being a terrible pessimist considering how the Pelicans have played all of those opponents to say, you know, a five game losing streak right before the trade deadline might push the the front office towards maybe we're not we we haven't built the team we thought we did um maybe we should you know cut bait on a couple of these guys and i know um especially uh especially ollie would be um excited to help eric bledsoe pack his bags um and then once that happens i think we're going to have a situation where kyra and na are going to get a lot more minutes and we can see where they're going um, I, I, I really, I don't see a situation of barring injury that Jackson Hayes is going to find himself back in the rotation. So, um, but it's uh, the biggest thing is man, just watching Zion, even when the Pelicans lose and let's not, let's not beat them over the head too much. I mean, since February 16th, the Pelicans, yes, they've gone four and four. They're 
their four wins, they have the overtime win. They blew the pants off of Memphis. They had, you know, a wire to wire win over Detroit. And then last night's game against Utah, but outside of the Phoenix game where they just fell apart in the fourth quarter, all the rest of the games have been extremely competitive. Portland, they lost by two. Milwaukee, they lost by four. San Antonio, they lost by three. Like this team is, I mean, development isn't necessarily always just going to be wins and losses. You look at their point differential, they have the point differential of a team that should be 500. Um, they've had some unlucky bounces, you know, that got them to that point. Um, I, I still think we kind of lean towards both the Indiana and the Charlotte, well, Indiana, Charlotte, and Oklahoma City losses. Um, just that that stretch there where it was like the ball kept on bouncing the wrong way for them. Um, but I'm encouraged by the direction they're going. Um and what I'd like to see is just improvement on defense and then to continue to enjoy Zion and just he's incredible to watch every single game. Before we get out of here, Kevin, uh, Zion Shue, do you have a reaction to it? Um, I mean, I only saw that top view, so you can't really get a good look at it. Um, I'm not also not a big like basketball shoe guy. Like I, I find they often look like what you would wear to scuba dive on the moon. Um, so like I'm, I'm more into skate shoes, so I'm not like really the, the, the basketball shoe guy. Um, but yeah, I mean, whatever, you know, they're not a bag of chips, so it's cool. <laughs> All right. Who's that a shot at? Who's that a shot at? <laughs> I know. I'm going to get out of here, but, uh, Christopher B. Connor and I are going to be hosting our own locker room. Uh, so download the app, locker room app, make sure you go on that. Uh, get into the NBA group, and we'll definitely announce on Twitter when we're going to be opening up the room. But for anybody who doesn't know, basically I'll start the room or Chris will start the room, and then everybody can attend. You can ask a question, and we can select you, and you can, uh, quote, come up on stage, unquote, and you can talk to the entire room. So we're going to have a lot of fun with that. Ali, anything coming up with you? No, I'm hoping to wrap up an article on Lonzo Ball tonight where I basically make the same argument that I made for like that four-minute stretch there. Where I, I don't think it's even a question anymore. I think he's definitely should be a part of this team moving forward, unless, of course, you're going to land some kind of gigantic star. Otherwise, no, he's got to be considered part of the core. Sweet. And Fish has muted himself, uh, but make sure you follow him at Fish underscore TBW, at Ali Cosell, at hey, Kevin Bounce. I know, I just saw you muted yourself, so I, I didn't know if you were, you know, drowning in, in toddler, um, I don't know, droppings. <laughs> God, <laughs> He's four. It's not that bad. (laughs) I have changed five poop diapers in the past, like I don't know, eighteen hours. Like she is, she is really having it today. I don't know what my wife has been feeding her downstairs, but she's having a party, so it's been fun. I'm gonna get out of here. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, Please, uh, you know, continue to ask your questions, and we'll get them in on the the next show if we didn't get it in on this one. Uh, Other than that, thanks everybody. Let's dance. Let's go, pals. Thank you for listening to the bird calls on the armchair all-american network if you like what you're hearing please take a moment to rate us on itunes retweet share with your friends and most importantly subscribe today